We're past the hour. Let's get quick, quick work, quick work. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10, you get there, you'll find these words. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Hallelujah. For the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he might, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. Isn't that good news? Verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom all are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Perfect through suffering. So his assignment was to bring many sons to glory. So we're talking today on this part two. Relationship goes the glory of sonship, the glory of sonship. Father God, today, thank you for the time we have now to spend in your word. I pray that, Father, you give us um, an anointed hearing, anointed seeing, anointed understanding, that the word that is preached may, may make sense in the spirit to us, make an impact on our hearts, that we may in turn make an impact on the world around us. I pray, Father, that God, every hindrance to the word, every distraction, every demonic force of the enemy will be stopped, and that God, your word will have free course and be glorified among your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. All right. Thank you, Lord. The glory of sonship. Now, quick review. We've been talking about how God gave us a, uh, relationship goals. John chapter 1, verse 12 in the King James Version. I'm moving quickly because we got to kind of catch up to where, where we're supposed to be. John 1, 12, uh, the Bible says that for as many as received him to them, he gave power to become what? So we saw right then and there where God established the goal of uh, our relationship. That God wasn't just trying to be friends. That God didn't just want us to be acquaintances. He didn't just want us to be servants. He wanted us to become his sons. I think, I think the moment, y'all listen, any, any of y'all unmarried in here? Anybody unmarried? Raise your hand. Unmarried. Unmarried. It's, some of y'all ain't raise your hand. You're unmarried. Raise your hand. Raise your hand real high, real high. The, the, I think it ought to, be, ought to be a principle, a policy that the moment somebody hollers at you, you ask them, what's your goal? I, I, feel, I feel like I need to pause right here. You remember over in John, I think it's chapter, chapter 1, chapter, chapter 1, I think it was, with Jesus Christ. Uh, he had gone down where, where uh, John the Baptist was baptizing. You remember that? Jesus went down to Jordan where John the Baptist was baptizing. And some guys who were with John decided to go start following. They, they took off and started following Jesus Christ. He turned and said, what do y'all want? Otherwise, what's your, what are you coming to me for? What, what's your goal? And I think anybody who's unmarried, when somebody hollers at you or you holler at somebody, you need to have a goal in mind. Not, not, I, just wanna, I don't just want your number. I want, I want your last name. Okay. You follow what I'm saying? <laughs> We're not just exchanging numbers, baby. We're trying to get last names. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> just a little side note for you right there. So God said, I don't want you to just be members be, to be believers. I want you to be also disciples. I want you to be citizens, and I want you to be sons, sonship, right? 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says that, uh, Behold, what man of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Verse 2, he goes on and says, uh, Beloved, uh, now are we the sons of God. 
and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we know that we shall be like him, for we shall see him even as he is. We shall see him as he is. So now are we the sons of God. And he, he closed out by saying we shall see him, see him as he is. And I looked at 1 John 4, 17. Y'all got to keep up. If you weren't here, you got to go back and watch the videos, all right, from last week. 1 John 4, 17, the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. So we are sons now, and we shall see him as he is. But then we read that, even, that as he is, so are we in this world. So we are sons as, God, as Jesus Christ is, rather. And I've been trying to get this, get this through through our, through our um, if you allow this, spiritually thick heads, that we are sons on the same level as Jesus. That God didn't make us lesser sons than he made Jesus. That it doesn't matter whether you are a created son as Adam was, whether you are the only begotten son as Jesus Christ is, or whether you are an adopted son as we are, we are all sons on the same level. We read in Hebrews 2.10 that Jesus Christ came to bring many sons to glory. So God's goal for us is sonship. Everybody say sonship. So we talked about needing to be that we are sons, but we got to get a revelation of sonship. Because if we don't have a revelation, we'll never expect or experience the glories of that sonship. Right? And so we need discipleship. That's why you come to church. We don't come to church just to see each other. We come to church because we want to be discipled. That's why we go to a small group. Not just to eat food and, and play kickball. That's good. That's wonderful. We should do that. But we want to also be discipled. We want to learn this new walk that we have, that we have in Jesus Christ. Because there's no baby that, that's born that knows how to eat. Right? Every baby, um, now they don't know how to go, you know, eat the natural off, off the, mother's, the mother's mammary glands, but they don't know. <laughs> huh? Off the mammary factory. Off the breast. Okay, off the breast. I don't know, I don't know if people would blush. There are people who will blush when you say breast. So anyway. So anyway, um, you have to learn how to eat. You have to learn how to hold a, a, a fork. <laughs> right? You don't hold a fork like that or a knife. I've seen people at fine restaurants trying to cut steak with holding knives like, what are you, a gorilla or something? What's wrong with you? And uh, you got to learn how to do this stuff. So discipleship is how we learn who we are, what we have, what we can do, what we're called to do. So God gave, Jesus Christ gave layout for discipleship in Luke 14, 26, 27, 33. I don't have time to read all that. But he said, hate family, hate your life, meaning prefer Jesus Christ over everything, bear your cross, forsake everything. We talked about the rights of citizenship, right? For our citizenship is in heaven. And so we found out that God gave us rights and privileges as citizens of the kingdom of God. And God didn't want us living like the citizens of this world. What does Romans 12, 2 say? Y'all know, y'all know it. Be not conformed to this world. Come on, but be what? So don't conform to this world. Don't act like natural citizens. Don't live like citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. So we have a heavenly citizenship. We have heavenly rights, heavenly privileges, heavenly uh, finances, heavenly health, heavenly uh, happiness, heavenly joy, heavenly peace, heavenly wisdom. Everything that we get comes from heaven. So don't, don't come down then and live like citizens of this planet. Okay, hallelujah. I don't have time to go deep into that. You just got to get it. Okay, I, I taught on that for two weeks. Okay, Romans 8 and 29, 
Now remember Romans 12, 2, it said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what are we being transformed to? Sonship. Into sonship, the image of the son. Yeah. Right? So Romans 8, 29 says that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of, of, of the son. Right? We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of the son. Everybody say the image of the son. Now that word image is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the Greek word E-I-K-O-N, icon. It's the Greek word icon. Well, we, we know the English word I-C-O-N, icon. What is, what is an icon? Well, there's a couple of meanings we know about icon. An icon can be somebody you look up to. An icon is somebody who inspires others. It's somebody who people want to emulate and be like. Well, the Bible says he's our icon. Our icon is not Jordan. And it's not supposed to be the Kardashians and, 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 and uh, Mary J. Blige or, or whoever people look up to. They want to, everybody for a long time wanted to be Nicki Minaj. All of the girls want to be like Nicki Minaj for a while. Then they wanted to be like Cardi B for a while. Who's a Meg Thee Stallion? Everybody want to start being, they, they made these people their icons. Y'all looking at me like I'm talking British or something. <laughs> so they start dressing down and dressing up. Dressing down and dressing up like every, these people trying to be like them when our icon is supposed to be Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't need to be like Wiz Khalifa. We don't need to be like any, any, you name anybody. They're not supposed to be our icons. Our icon is supposed to be Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. An icon also is, is something, is a picture that represents something else. When you have your, everybody have their smartphone, if you have a smartphone, you have icons all over your screen. Those are called icons. You click on an icon, that icon is a picture, but it represents something bigger that's behind it. When you click on that icon, it opens a whole uh, application, a, a, a whole system to you. It gives you access to something that you didn't have access to until you hit that icon. He is our icon. He is the door. He said, I am the door of the sheep. If you, when, you, when you click on me, you, you go in and out and you find pasture. Are you getting this? He's our icon. Okay? So we're be, being conformed to the icon of his son. So the icon then uh, is... The reason I mentioned to you a moment ago about people trying to dress like this person and that person, uh, trying to be like and emulate that person, because whatever you stare at is what you, you be, tend to become. Whatever you look at, you tend to, to be, uh, conform to. So the Bible's telling us, don't look at the world, don't be conformed to the world, but conform to the image of his son. So the more you look at the son, the more you begin to emulate him. Y'all getting this here? All right, I, let me keep going here. Let me keep going. So then this same chapter here, verse 30 says, that moreover whom he predestined, uh, these he also called, whom he also, whom he called, these he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. Notice those are all past tense words. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. Predestined, called, justified, glorified, all past tense. So that means on the inside, you've already been glorified. So when you were uh, made to be conformed to the image of his son, he went ahead and glorified you on the inside. So today I want to get to your insides. I, I want to get past your thick hair 
and your thick lips and your thick hips and all the stuff you think you got going on and you can try to be cute and, and make a living for yourself off your hips. <laughs> the, the, let me tell you something, young ladies. I'm going to talk to you young ladies for a minute. The Bible says favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that fears the Lord, in other words, beauty's only skin deep. It's going gonna, it's gonna to wrinkle up at some point, right? What's bouncy will sag at some point. So, so your glory is not what's on the outside. Your glory, it comes from, y'all quiet, y'all, y'all mad at me. Come on, guys. I know you all thick and chiseled right now, but eventually that six-pack becomes a keg. trying to hold on and hold on. Okay. Okay. So, so what, what the real value that you have, the real potency that you have is not your outside. It's not even your brain. It's the inside in that he predestined, he called, he justified, he also glorified you with the glory of sonship. And he needs us to learn the glory of our sonship. Y'all got it? That's the very reason why I'll get to that later. I'll get to that later. Um, and, and now what I, I've been talking to you about is about Jesus Christ coming. Remember, he's the icon, the perfect picture of the glorified son, right? And so he came to this earth. Listen to me very carefully. Listen, listen to me very carefully. How many of y'all been in church most of your life? Now, what's happened in church is we, we've, in our religious teaching, in our limited religious teaching, we've, we've limited Jesus' coming, his purpose, to just come and um, deliver us from sin. And he did do that. I said he did do that. He came, he delivered us from sin. But his ultimate goal was not to deliver us from sin. His ultimate goal was to demonstrate sonship. You got to catch this. Because if delivering us from sin was the ultimate goal, the moment you got saved, he would have called you out. Soon as you got saved, he would have said, okay, that's it. You made it. We're done. Come on up here. But because you had to stay here, he had to demonstrate sonship and how to live on this earth as a son. That's why, that's why he, didn't, he didn't start ministry for 30 years. That's why in, 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 uh, in, in Luke chapter, chapter 2, I believe it is, where his parents found him in the temple asking, answering questions at 12 years old, he already knew what he was called to. He already knew there was something different about his life. But yet when his parents found him, the Bible says he became obedient to them. He, he, he submitted himself to them. He submitted himself to his parents because he was still a son. And he had to demonstrate sonship. And so then when he launched into ministry at 30 years old, everything he did as a, as, a, as a minister, as a man of God, he did as a son of God. He never freaked out when there was a situation because he knew he was a son of God. You, you got to catch this. You got to catch this. The very first day that Jesus Christ shows up in public ministry, uh, to, 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 re really, to really go into public ministry, was when he's there at the Jordan River being baptized by John the Baptist. Y'all remember that? And what's the first thing that, that heaven has heard, that, that earth has heard in 400 years? This is my beloved son. son. Come on, in whom I'm 
well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, he gets baptized, and the moment he leaves that baptism, he's driven into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And what does the devil do three times? He says, if you are the son of God. So the thing the devil questions on him is not whether he's a teacher, not whether he's a Jew, not whether he's a this or that. He questions his sonship because the devil knows that if he can destroy your mindset about your sonship, he's destroyed your potential to serve God. Who am I talking to here today? So the devil is, he, he doesn't want you to be saved. But if you get saved... He's all right with that as long as you don't learn your sonship. Y'all miss that. Y'all miss that. He doesn't mind if you get saved and go on, get, go, go on to heaven. Go ahead. Get on out of here. He'd much rather you get saved and go on get out of here. Get off this planet. Because if you stay here as a son, you become a threat to his kingdom. I don't know. Am I preaching too high for you? I don't know. If you stay here and understand your sonship, you are a threat to the kingdom of God. Jesus showed up, and everywhere he showed up, demons would begin to scream out, We know who you are, the Son of God. Shut up, shut up, shut up. They were always threatened by his sonship. Before he even opened his mouth, they knew, they recognized him. Oh, wait, this is the Son. See, and if you don't know who you are, then you'll let the devil run you. As opposed to you running him. So Jesus Christ's ministry was to demonstrate sonship to us. Y'all got this. All right, now. Now, in um, Ephesians 1.5, the Bible says that God predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus. God predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. Okay? So Jesus, you've probably heard me say this before, he was the son of God already. He came, the son of God became the son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God. I'll say it again. The son of God became a son of man. So sons of men could become sons of God. To restore us to our original place in God. Is this the year of restoration? He came to restore us to our original place, our original position in God. Adam, the Bible says, was a son of God. Well, when Adam sinned, he lost sonship. And men dropped down from sonship down to servanthood. But Jesus Christ was a son of God and came as a son of man so that we could once again now be restored to sons of God. So the Bible says that God predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Y'all got this. You remember in Matthew 17. Let's go to Matthew 17. Hallelujah. Matthew 17. First book of the New Testament, Matthew 17. And we read about Jesus up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 1, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. 
verse 2, and he was transfigured before them. He was what? Now that transfigured is the same Greek word we get the word in Romans 12 to transform. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we see him, he was transfigured or transformed before them. Now watch what happens. His face shone like the sun. This is what happened when he was transformed. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. What happened? The glory that was on the inside of him came out, radiated on the outside of him. What they could not see naturally with him walking down the street, what the demons could see. What de because demons are in the spiritual realm. And what demons could see, the natural men could not see. But when he went on this mountain where they had a spiritual experience, they saw finally in the spirit what was in him all the time. He revealed his glory. Now watch this. You remember the story? It says in, uh, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Verse 3, right? Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So we know that Peter was trying to put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah, right? Verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So God interrupted Peter's notion to put everybody on the same level and said, no, no, no they're not on the same level. He said, this is my son. This is my beloved son. This is my, my son in whom I'm well pleased, the one I favor, the one I prefer. That's what well pleased means. It meant to favor or to prefer. Now, did God like Moses? Yes. Did God like Elijah? Yes. I told you that, that, that they, they were such great servants that, that when Moses died, that the angel, uh, Michael, and Satan argued over his body. He walked with God. Elijah walked so, so close with God that he never saw death. That God just picked him up, scooped him up. He never saw death. Now, he will one day because Elijah is going to come back, I believe, uh, with those two prophets that we read on Revelation. They're going to come back one day. And so he will die at that time. Now, so here we have here that, that Peter wants to put those three on the same level, and they're not. Two are servants. One is a son. Y'all got this. Now, I wanted to show you something about, about Moses again. We, we talked about Moses last week. I want to show you something. Go to Hebrews and chapter 3. Hebrews 3. Because our focus this morning is on sonship. That God has an affinity for sons. Sons get a preferential treatment. And if you don't know you're a son and understand that you're a son, please ladies understand when I'm saying son, I'm talking about everybody. That when you're a son, you have, you have an inroads with God that people who are just servant-minded don't get. You have an access with God that people who are servant-minded never apply for. In Hebrews 3, and... I'm going to start at verse 1. Because I want to show you the difference between servanthood and sonship. Moses and Jesus. Are you there? It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Moses. 
Consider who? The apostle of our confession. So he's the one to consider. He's the one that we're looking unto. Look at verse 2. Who was what? Faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was. So notice now the Holy Spirit's going to give us a, a comparison or contrasting of Moses and Jesus. And notice that they're both called faithful. Moses was faithful in all his house, and the Bible says Jesus Christ was faithful. Now watch this, verse 3. For this one, capital O, meaning Jesus, has been counted worthy of what? More glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. In other words, in other words uh, the, the same way the architect has more glory, has more notoriety in the house itself. If you find what, what, you know, one of those Harvard Jolly architecture houses, you might say the house is wonderful, but you, you don't want to meet the house. You want to meet Harvard Jolly. You want to meet the one who designed it. He said, in the same way you have that, this one, Jesus Christ, is counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Are you with me? Now watch this. Verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Verse 5. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. Notice Moses was indeed faithful where? In, in all his, capital H, God's house as a servant. He was faithful. He was faithful. But verse 6 says, but Christ, as a son, over, not in. See, you got, you, got to, you got to make sure you look at these little words. Moses was a servant in. Christ was a son over. Boy, if you, if you know your Bible, this is clicking to you. So Moses, as faithful as he was, could never rise above the level of servanthood. So he was only counted as faithful in the house. Jesus Christ, because he was a son, he was counted faithful over the house. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So notice who gets more glory, the servant or the son. Notice the servant is in the house, but the son is over the house. So you'll never operate in rulership or authority until you rise to the level of sonship. Boy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This, this, is, this, is, um, this, is, this is some heavy teaching right here. Because Maybe you think, well, there's not big a difference. I don't really care what I am. I don't, you know, as long, long as I make it in. Long, you know what? They're, they're, you know, you know the, the, the phrase that I've heard my whole life and people, people make songs about it and people preach about it. They, they say, when I get to heaven, all I want to hear God say is, well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. How many ever heard that? I just want to hear him say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But do you know, when Jesus gave that parable in Matthew 25, the parable in Luke 19, similar parables, 
And he says, this man who had servants and the one who took five and gained five, one who took two and gained two, the one who took one and he, the one didn't, he didn't do anything with it. And if you read the text, when he says, the man says, I have five and I gained five, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He doesn't say then, enter into your master's joy, enter the joy of the Lord. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, you've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler for many things. Now enter into the joy. No, y'all missed it. So the church quotes the beginning and the end, but not the middle. See, the middle is what gives you entrance into the, into the joy. Uh, did y'all, anybody find Matthew 25? Let me, let me just, let me just look, because some of y'all are looking stunned. Matthew 25. Um, let me just show you this here. Matthew 25. Give me a verse, verse 21. Matthew 25, verse 21. I just got to read one of them. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said to him, can y'all read it? Yes. Well done. I just want to hear him. That's all I want to hear him say. And people skip all the to the end, enter to the joy of the Lord. But before God, before he lets him enter, he says, you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler. Listen, enter to the joy of your Lord. So notice the man doesn't enter as a servant. Y'all, man, y'all going to make me sit down and take my Bible home. He doesn't enter as a servant. He enters as a ruler. Boy, that just flips somebody's script right there if you get it. You, you, will not, you will not go to heaven as a servant. He already has servants. They're the angels. I taught y'all that last Sunday. Y'all still remember that? Is anybody listening to this stuff at home? He already has servants. You don't go to heaven as a servant. I remember one day I, we went over our church. Had to go to preach. At, we had to go do a service at a church right around the corner. I'm not gonna name the church, and we had to go do this service. And the guy who uh, pastored church at that time, an older guy who knew my parents very well, preached together. My parents had many services together. With my parents, and I remember I'm, I'm in I'm there at the church, and he tells me he says, uh, "Man, I I had a dream or a vision, a word from the Lord, or whatever he tried to give me," and he said. And I was, I, I went to heaven. He said, when I went to heaven, I heard a voice behind me calling my name. And I'm not going to call his name. He said, it, and it, it was your mama, your daddy calling my name. I said, really? Wow. What happened? He said, and I turned, I saw your, your mom. Your mama was in there, boy. She was in heaven. And you know what her job was in heaven? She was washing all the communion cups. Your mama was washing all the communion cups. I said, my mom was washing all the communion cups. <laughs> You mean my mama served God a whole life. My mama built churches, fed the hungry, got plenty of people born again and full of the Holy Ghost, led women's ministry, helped my father build churches, did all those things, and her reward is she gets to go to heaven and wash all the communion cups. as well stay here because this is the kind of misconceptions we kind of we have and we hear these things at funerals 
that when, that when someone dies, people come along and say, well, you know, God needed another secretary in heaven. Because he, let's say the person died, they were secretary. Well, God needed a secretary in heaven, so he called Sister, Sister Mary because she's a good secretary. So he need, God need help doing, preachers will preach this, God needed help doing the books in heaven. A so-and-so was a good, a, a good cook, and so God needed somebody to make sweet potato pies in heaven. So, I, I'm telling you things I've literally heard at funerals. I'm sitting there like, he needed a flower in his garden. You mean the God who planted Eden? needed flowers in his garden so he plucked up some little child at the tender age of six years old and took their lives so he could have a flower in the garden you mean God would do that and we give all these crazy ideas and pictures of God and where, where people die young from horrible kind of things that happen to them and then we want to tell people to come to Jesus, to come to Jesus get saved what? what? you got to hear me ladies and gentlemen you do not enter heaven as a servant. Man, who hears what I'm saying to you? Y'all better wake up because you're going you're gonna to sleep your way right into heaven and you're going to be, Lord, I'm looking, where, where can I, where, where are the communion cups? I want to come clean the communion cups. Lord, Lord I, I'll wash all the mansions. I'll clean all the mansions. I, I, gotta, I, was, I, used, I used to be, I used to be a, a power washer when I was at, back on the earth and I was... I'll power wash the mansions, Lord. God, I'll keep all the streets of gold clean. I'll keep them all clean, Lord. Just, just let me make it in. I just want to make it in. You ain't going to make it in like that. He's not looking for servants. Guess who rules in a house? Who? Oh, boy. Let me go to another scripture here. Can I just flow? Y'all don't got to put me off my notes anyway. Um, let's see. Look, go to Ecclesiastes 10. Go to Ecclesiastes 10. Verse 5. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Lord, open the people's eyes that they may see. Lord, open their eyes that they may see, Lord. Lord, anoint their ears to hear this word today. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 5. Are you there? There's an evil I have seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. An error proceeding from the ruler. Verse 6, folly is set in great dignity. Foolishness is set in great dignity. In other words, fools are in the dignified position while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses, princes walk on the ground like servants. The Bible says this is an evil. It is an error for servants to be ruling things and princes, which if you're a prince, it means you're the son of a king, 
to be walking on the ground like servants. And what the devil has done is he's gotten the servants out there in the world running things while the sons, the princes, are walking on the ground like servants. That because we don't know who we are, we're letting the servants run the whole thing. I got three minutes left. That's about all I'm going to give y'all because y'all are saying a word back to me. Do y'all, do y'all even, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? That this sonship that we have been given, that we've already been made, it, it, it raises us up. We've already been glorified. It raises us up to a place beyond any place the world could ever get to. Remember I taught you what the Bible says, that the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, meaning the least in the kingdom is greater than the highest person in the world. But we're letting, we're letting the, the servants out there. Well, Pastor, what do you mean they're servants? Well, they are servants. The world are the servants. They're the ones who've been given a job to go and gather and collect and heap up. God has given them the job to go out there and gather, collect, and heap up so you can have it. Praise the Lord. All right. Go to John chapter 8. Let me, let me give you a little bit more here. I'm only going to make it through the first side of this sheet. My gosh. I, I have so much. It's just, um, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. I don't know if we can finish it in weeks. You, you, you got you to hear, you, you got to hear this sonship. John 8 and verse um, 34. Hallelujah. Did did y'all get what I was trying to get you to see in Hebrews 3 about Moses and Jesus were both faithful? But Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus was faithful as a son. Over. I'm trying to show you that sons are over. So I'm not, I don't want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, I'll make your ruler, enter. Y'all got it? Hallelujah. Uh, I'm going past, where, where am I? John, where did I say John 8? Hallelujah. 8.34. Let's start at verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believe him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. See that qualification for discipleship there? If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and what will happen. Verse 33, they answered him, watch this, they answered him because he said, he said, you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Watch their answer. We are Abraham's descendants and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say well, you will be made free? So he's telling them, if you know this truth, it'll make you free. They're saying free, 
You're already free. Now, let me ask you this. Who's the one telling the truth, them or Jesus? See, they, they, they think they're telling the truth. They don't know that they're in bondage. See, they, they, they don't know that they're in bondage. If they weren't in bondage, he wouldn't have said the truth will make you free. If he tells you it's going to make you free, he's telling you you're in bondage. But they're saying we're Abraham's descendants that we've never been in bondage. First of all, you're, you're wrong because Abraham's descendants were in bondage plenty of times. You remember the whole Egypt, Egypt thing? Remember Babylon? Remember all the times y'all in captivity, even just a few days and just, y'all in bondage all the time. What are you talking about? And now here they are. In fact, at the time of this, at the time of this occurrence, they're under Roman occupation. Here they are under Roman occupation, which means the Romans are running their whole system and they still think they're free. Now I'm saying it because there are people sitting right here in this church and sitting in churches all across the world who are under demonic occupation and think they're free. And he said, you're not free. The devil running you every day, you're not free. He got you bound to his financial system, bound to his medical system, bound to his, his education. He got you bound in every way. Glory to God. So they say, how can you say you will be made free? Verse 34, here we go. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Whoever commits sin, now this word commits is, is, a, is a continuous perfect word, which means this is not like you sinned yesterday and you, oh, Lord, I, I made an error, please forgive me. This is he who commits. In other words, you, you're committed to it. You're, you're practicing until you get good at it. <laughs> I don't have any of that in here, right? You, you, you may have messed up yesterday or messed up last week, but you're not committing sin, which means uh, you're not committed to sin. Okay, all right. He says if you commit sin, as I want to say commit it to sin, you're a slave of sin. Now watch this. This is big, verse 35. And a slave, now King James used the word servant. So I want to use that word. And a servant does not abide in the house forever, but a son This is good here. So if you keep yourself in a servant mentality, you won't abide forever. But a son will abide forever. Here's why. Remember the, the servanthood of the slavery, he dealt with sin. Everybody say sin. So what happens if you have a servant mentality... Then, then your mind is set. Watch this. Y'all need to listen. This is very good. Your mindset is to try not to break the rules. If you maintain a servant mindset, trying to walk with God, then you're focused on not breaking the rules. You're not focused on living in your, in your sonship, focused on living in your freedom. You're focused on, well, I, I can't do that because if I do that, I'm going to, oh, God, 
Lord, help me. I'm trying, trying not to break the room. I'm trying, I'm trying not to do this. I'm, I don't want to mess up over here. And I, I don't want to mess up over there. And I, I know I'm talking right now. And if you live with that, try not to break the rules mentality, guess what's going to happen? You're going to break the rules. You're going to always mess up because you're trying not to mess up. Because you have a servant mentality. Because as a servant, y'all mind if I talk like this? As a servant, servants live in, in fear of the master. You remember that same thing we just read in Matthew 25 a minute ago, Matthew 25, 21, about the man who said, well done, good and faithful servant. Remember, remember the, the third servant came? The, the third servant who he gave one talent. And he's supposed to go make others. And when the man came back to, give, to make him give an account, he said, he said, I feared you. Because I knew you were a hard man. So I hid your talent. Here it is. And because he brought that same talent, he was punished because he didn't produce. And he didn't produce because he was in fear. Y'all, you got it. You a man. This is... If I, is this helping one person? Give me. Okay, okay. Let me just, if I appreciate this one person. If you live in fear, you won't produce. And that man was punished because he didn't produce. And he didn't produce because he was in fear of messing up. I got to stay on this side. Ain't, ain't nothing over there. He, 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 didn't, he was punished because he didn't produce. He didn't produce because he was in fear of messing up. And if you live your life as a Christian in fear of messing up, you will not produce. And if you will not produce, you will be punished. The other two who produce, they, they move from servants to rulers. Because they were not in fear. A son does not, a, a, a servant does not abide in the house forever. Because a servant will fear, and when a servant fears, when he messed up, he runs. Condemnation will drive a servant mentality person away. Y'all got to get this. You got to get this. You got to get this. You got to get this. A, a servant mentality will drive a person into condemnation, and they will run from God rather than running to God. But a son abides forever. Why does a son abide forever? One, because a son knows that my father loves me. And even if I fail, even if I do wrong, even if I come short, my father loves me. So the son won't let condemnation drive them away from the father. The son will run back to the father, but a servant will run from a master. I don't know who this is for, but it's helping me. And what keeps the people of God from producing is a servant mindset that makes them run from a master as opposed to running to a father. Will you tell your neighbor, help me out, say neighbor. God's your father. Run to him. Even when you're wrong. 
the moment Adam, who was the son of God, the moment Adam got into sin, the moment Adam got into sin, he lost sonship. And when he lost sonship, when the God still came looking for him, God would come down and talk with Adam in the cool of the day every day, hang out. Hey, Adam, how you doing? What's going on down here? How's it, how's it hanging? Everything going good. But when Adam sinned, he fell into a servant mentality, and God still came looking for him. Hey, we're going to talk. We're going to talk. And he said, where, where, Adam, where are you? Oh, we're hiding. We were afraid of you. Afraid? Why are you afraid? Why are you, why are you afraid? You know when you've got into a servant mindset when you're afraid. See, a servant will not abide in a house forever. A servant will keep running. Because a servant's afraid of retaliation from the master. But a son is expecting redemption from the father. A son knows that if I sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. A son knows that if I just simply confess my sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all. In other words, other words, in other words, in other words, uh, <laughs> glory to God. A, 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 good, a good mama, a good daddy will, will, when you cut yourself and you, you break the dining room table in the glass and you cut yourself, they're they not going to beat you because you cut the, I mean, they're going to they tend to your bleeding self. My little brother Julius and I, I remember boy, we, 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 were, we were boys. We were boy boys. We weren't like these little flaky boys people raising today. People raise little flaky boys today. Send them boys outside. Get them off the video games. Send them outside. Let them go play. Let them go drink from the water hose every once in a while. You know, they got to bring them out Fuji and bring them ice. You, son, would you like some lemonade? You better drink from that water hose, boy. It's hot. Let it run. Let it run. It's going it's to cool down. It's lizards in there. They're going to come out. Turn that water on. Don't come in until it's 6 o'clock. I got to use the bathroom. See that tree back there in the backyard? Son, go back. Don't come in this house. I'm cleaning. I'm cleaning. I'm cleaning. So my, my brother and I were real boys, and we played. I remember one time we, we, were, we were wrestling, wrestling in, in the back of the house, and uh, my mom had uh, these, these um, uh, shoot, oh, now I think about it. That was the back and the front of the house. Oh, Lord, same day. Ooh. If, if I have this, this cut on my hand right here. I don't know if you can see that media. Y'all zoom in the camera. So y'all see that little cut? My brother Julius has a cut right here. It was all on the same day, because we were going at it, boy. We were going at it. And uh, I threw him through a screen. Remember back in the back of the house early on, warm before mom had a sewing room, it was, it was a little uh, like a back utility room. I threw him through the screen. Bam, boom. And we was just fighting just. And I don't even know if we were serious as playing, you know, but we were, we were going at it. And then in the living room, my mom had these, remember the, the, it'll be a lamp stand, a, lamp, a stand went straight up, and these ball, these round globes. And I ain't going to say you threw me. I fell into one of them. 
He, he, he wasn't going to throw me now. No, he did that wrong. And so I had a cut here. He got a cut there. And when my parents found that out, they saw that, oh, my God, I thought, oh, Lord, I'm about to get a beating. Nope, they didn't. They didn't beat me. They took me to the emergency rooms. I had to get stitches. Now, I was hiding. I was afraid because I thought they were going to beat me because I broke my mom's lamp. I, I didn't get a whooping first. <laughs> now, I, they, talk, they did talk to me, but they saw I was hurt. That's how parents treat sons. You deserve a beating, but I got, I got to deal with your hurt. Servants do not abide in the house forever, but sons abide in the house forever. Can I say one more thing here? And then I'll pick up on this some, sometime next week or whenever. Sometime. Um, servants don't abide in the house forever, but sons do. And it said, he that commits sin is a slave of sin. Now let me show you one more aspect of this whole issue. The difference between servants and sons. Why... Why, my brothers, I, I deal with some brothers, we pray together, and one of my brothers helped me with this, and it just, it just is so good. Why people sin? Pastor, why would I commit to sin? Okay. Servants don't take ownership. Sons take ownership. The same way an employee of a company doesn't take ownership as much as an owner would or the son of the owner would. So an employee might give, give extra fries away. But the owner is going, only going to give you what you're supposed to have because, wait a minute, I'm protecting the company. An, uh, an employee would steal from the company. An employee would embezzle. But an, an owner would not do anything to jeopardize his own company. You got to get this here. So a servant... Because he has no ownership understanding, no ownership mindset, he will do things that jeopardizes his own company or jeopardizes the company he works for or jeopardizes his own life. That he would, he, uh, uh, an owner will make sure the doors are locked and the cash register is closed. Whereas a servant wouldn't have that kind of mindset. He's he, he just try, busy trying to get in and get out. Got to put in my aid. That's why some people come to church like that. I'm just coming to put in my couple of hours, uh, three hours, four hours, however y'all do, and I'm going to go home. I just I ain't doing anything extra. So this whole ministry affair thing y'all got, they ain't thinking about no ministry affair because I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm just here to get my couple of hours in, and I'm going on home. So when you have that mentality, you don't protect. So you don't know that sin opens the door for the thief. So as a servant mindset, 
you, you will sin and it not bother you because you're not thinking about the fact that I'm leaving the door open to the enemy. But if you have a, a son's mentality and owner's mentality, you say, wait a minute, I'm not going to sin because I'm jeopardizing my own company. I'm an heir of God and a joiner with Christ. Why would I give the devil any entry into my life or into the kingdom? So, now that doesn't mean sons don't mess up. It means sons don't commit to doing it. Sons may sneak an extra cookie off the plate but won't commit to stealing all the cookies. Yeah, are you, are you, I'm, trying, I'm trying to say it the way you get it. That, that when you understand sonship, then sin becomes now a no-no for you, not because you're afraid of hell or afraid of the master or afraid of punishment, but because you're protecting protecting this kingdom. I'm protecting this vessel. I'm protecting the house. So I don't want to give the devil, I'm not going to leave any window open, any door open for him to get in my house. Hallelujah. Because I have a different mentality. Servants don't abide in the house ever, but sons abide in the house forever. Verse 36, I'll close it right here. And I'll do it page two next week. 36. Therefore, therefore, if the Son makes you free, come on, you shall be free. Notice here that only the Son can release us to live as sons. Y'all got it. Only the Son can release us to live as sons. Only sons can demonstrate sonship. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Servants can't release you to be sons. Only sons can. That is why, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this, listen to this, this is, make, this, this is big, this is big, this is big, this is big, this is big. That's why it is important who you listen to. When it comes to the preaching of the gospel. Because a person who preaches the gospel with a servant mentality will preach you a servant mentality. And have you living with a servant mentality, having you living under and just dealing with stuff and handling stuff and, you know. But if somebody gets a revelation of their sonship, they can now preach and teach you as sons. Whom the son, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You got to have somebody with an experience or revelation of sonship. So guess what happens, ladies and gentlemen, I close here. Once you get a revelation and experience, guess what your job now is? To go and bring other people into this sonship. Because now you're walking and living as a son. Now you can deliver them from their servant mentality. Servants of sin. Servants of the wicked one. They can live as sons of God. Amen? Amen.
That's all the time I have. Give God a praise for that word today. <laughs> man, man, man. Maybe we'll finish this. I'll just try to give you whatever the Lord gives me. Today, there may be somebody in this room today, you're not in the family of God. You're not yet a son or a daughter of God. You've not yet given your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, that's very important. It's very important that you and I become and live as sons of God. Jesus Christ did not come just to free from sin. He did that. But he also came to demonstrate sonship so that you and I can walk in liberty walk in the freedom, walk in the dominion and rulership that comes as sons of God. And if you're in this place today and you're not born again, I want to make sure you have the chance today to become part of God's family. And um, the devil wants to keep you as a slave. If you're living in sin, you're a slave of it, and you can't stop yourself. The reality of it is, if you and I could stop ourselves or free ourselves from sin, Jesus Christ would have never had to come and die. But because we could not free ourselves, because we cannot stop ourselves, he had to come to give us power over sin, freedom from sin. So today, if you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I hear that and I want to live this free life you're talking about. In Romans 8, the Bible even says that one day all of creation is going to be delivered into the glorious liberty of the children or the sons of God. So there's a glorious liberty that you and I have that the world doesn't have. People say, well, man, I'm, I ain't going to church because I'm, I'm free, man. I can, I can smoke all I want. You're not free. You're smoking because you have to. My wife was doing, doing some little bit of research. She found out for everybody who wants to legalize marijuana and think marijuana is nothing, nothing wrong with it. Marijuana, number one, is the most addictive, one of the most addictive it's in the most addictive category of drugs on this planet. It's a schedule one. It means the top. So people think, I just tried, I'm, I just do it because, you know, I just want to feel good. No, you're, you're addicted. You're, you can't stop. You cannot stop. I also found out there's no, absolutely zero proven medical benefit to marijuana. Zero. Now, I'm only bringing up marijuana because of the addictive properties of it. The point I'm bringing is that when any sin, when the devil has you captive to sin, you can't stop yourself. When I was addicted to pornography, I couldn't stop myself. I couldn't. I wanted to. I couldn't. To the point where I, would, I was hiding and secretive and, and ashamed of who I was much as I wanted to stop, I couldn't stop myself. Because when the devil has you, he has you. And the only way out of any sin is through Jesus. That's it. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So today I want to make sure everybody's free when you leave this place today. All right, so if that's you, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to start today serving him. I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand, whoever you are. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for some man, some woman, some boy, some girl who you're not walking with God, and I, I, I see your hand. Somebody else, I want, to, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you today. Somebody to say, today is my day to finally be free. 
I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. I can't do this on my own, but I can do this through him. He's going to help me. He's going to help me. He's going to help me. I've already seen one hand. Who else? Who else will make the bold decision and the bold step today to, to, to start serving Jesus Christ? That will give up their whole lives for Jesus. Listen, it's not worth it. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So sin has one end, and it's death. It's destruction. That's the only good, that's the only, only thing's going to turn out from sin is death. So you and I don't want to end up like that. Why are we all going to die? It's not talking about dying physically. It means an eternal death away from God, living in the pit of hell, in the lake of fire forever. I'm not trying to scare you into living right or scare you into getting saved, but I do want to tell you the truth. That you do have a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. All right. Again, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to take that step, bold step, just come to this altar real quick. We're going to pray. We're going to do this in three minutes. If you, if you say today's my day, come to this altar. We're going to pray in three minutes. It's going to change your life. Three minutes is going to change your life. Hallelujah. God bless you, Marcus. Come on, somebody else. Anybody else today? Anybody else today? You say, today's my day to get saved. I want to be a born-again child of God. I want to be a son of God. I want to now gain an inheritance in the kingdom of God.